This episode is sponsored by Horizon Capital, an M&A and micro-private equity firm that acquires and grows SaaS companies. Horizon Capital only works with SaaS companies generating between 500K and 5 million in annual recurring revenue, where they help them unlock the true value of their business and scale to the next level. Whether you're ready to move on to your next startup or want to work with the right growth partner, Horizon's team will work with you to find the best structure possible. From M&A strategy to capital investments, SaaS is all they do. Simple as that. If you're a SaaS founder with less than $5 million in annual recurring revenue and are looking to sell your business, visit horizoncapital.com today and get a free valuation. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how Wix built their own in-house product, Wix Answers, and then decided to bring it to market. Today, we have our guest, Naomi Rosenfeld, joining us. Naomi is an entrepreneur and the executive vice president at Wix Answers, which is a unified customer support solution focused on providing spot-on support for customers rather than spending time on making all channels work together. Before joining Wix, Naomi was the co-founder of two travel startups, Tripelia and I Travel Jerusalem. Naomi is passionate about helping companies and startups provide best in-class customer experiences and transform the way companies provide customer support, which we'll dive in more detail today. So welcome, Naomi. Super excited to have you on SaaS District today. Thank you, Akil. Awesome. So uh, for those of us in our audience who don't know about your background, can you share your background and your own entrepreneurial journey uh, up until joining the Wix team back in, I think, 2016? Yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a while ago. Uh, I was an entrepreneur for about, I'd say, six or seven years prior to joining Wix. Uh, as you mentioned, travel was an industry that was very dear to me uh, and long awaiting disruption. That's how I was a very young entrepreneur then trying to bring new ideas that would help people travel in better ways and absorb and and get information about where they're going. Uh, I had my first startup, which uh, went very well, actually. Uh, we ended up winning uh, a bot project from actually the municipality of Jerusalem, and it quickly turned from a startup into a business. I, I sold my shares there to uh, the co-founders who started with me, moved on to my second startup. I was like on a high. I thought, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really got this. <laughs> and then uh, my second startup pretty much tanked after one year. Uh, I fell into like that statistic of 90% plus of startups failing. I was a year into the project and me and my co-founder had very different ideas of how we wanted to take this uh, this uh, startup uh, to the market. And we basically parted ways and I found myself like many entrepreneurs needing a job. Uh, I had already dug into my kids' future college funds and a friend said to me, hey, uh, you know, maybe you should go work at Wix. I know they're looking for a product marketing uh, to start building a product marketing team. And here I am basically six and a half years later. Wow. So you started then from product marketing and moved your way up all the way now to the executive vice president. 
Yeah, I uh, basically joined the Wix marketing team when it was pretty much in its early days. Uh, it was a very small team back then. Uh, and product marketing was something that they were uh, looking to add in, in the company. Wix itself uh, has a lot of different products that all contribute horizontally to like, you know, the main Wix editor to the user experience from uh, business tools to marketing tools. And as a very you know, SaaS-centric and uh, product-centric company, we were looking for a better way to bridge between the product and how do we communicate that to our users. Uh, I joined then, had helped to build the main product marketing team. And I would say just about a couple of years into, more than a few years into my journey with Wix, which by that time had really pretty much become like a massive marketing machine. Uh, you know, you're talking about a huge scale of users signing up. We had already done a couple of Super Bowl ads by then and just become like a really massive um, team and department. And I had heard about this uh, B2B thing happening within Wix. And that's a pretty odd thing to hear when you're in like a pretty successful B2C company and everything you're doing is about volume and scale. And I was like, this is very interesting. And I had actually went to meet Elad Iran, who's the CEO of Wix Answers. And we had a cup of coffee uh, in Tel Aviv <laughs> uh, and talked a lot about his vision and what he saw for this product called Wix Answers. And I was like, I want in. And nice. pretty much the rest was history. <laughs> there you go. I uh, just just rewinding a, a minute there. So I want to talk about that second startup for a second there. So you mentioned you know you, you had competing kind of visions with your co-founder that didn't work. Was that the same uh, co-founder that you worked with on the previous startup, or this was this something someone different? And you know, looking back now, what would you have done differently? Could you, if you can po- pinpoint exactly what was you know uh, an obstacle that you know made that company fail? Well, it's uh, something that I think entrepreneurs hear a lot. It's uh, choose your choose your co-founder wisely. Um, it's very much like a marriage or a partnership for life. Uh, it's it's really that union of of building a business. And I'm a huge believer today that it it has a lot more weight than the idea of a startup itself. Most startups start with one idea, then they evolve, uh, they change to meet market demands. They tend to focus more on one area than you know their initial ideas. And picking a co-founder. Uh, is, is probably like one of the most ki- critical uh, key factors. And looking back, I did not make the right choice there. Uh, it was initially an idea that I had had, um, started it with a few um, people who were supporting the idea, uh, building like proof of concepts, um, different frameworks of small partners that were helping me at the beginning. And then I knew I needed a co-founder, obviously to, to really start to balance uh, some of the things that I brought uh, which was more like the business and the marketing side. And I was looking for somebody on the product side. I ended up compromising and bringing somebody that was a lot more similar than me, uh, a lot more similar to me. Right. And it, he just didn't, uh, he didn't really counterbalance that well. And and looking back, I probably, I, I've given this advice as well. And I said, like, when you're choosing that co-founder, make sure you absolutely by a thousand percent really feel that you can trust this person with the best part of your business and the worst part of your business. And, um, that's something that I've learned as well from that time. Yeah, I think we can all uh, say we've experienced similar things. I've definitely experienced that as well. <laughs> cool. So uh, coming back to Wix, so I know a lot of people understand, you know, Wix as the you know the main platform of of websites. What was the thought process? I don't know if you were involved at this time of you know spinning off and launching Wix Answers specifically, and what was the problem that you saw that needed to be solved, and why was it you know decided that they need to create another customer support solution in the market? 
So to really understand Wix answers, you have to go back in time to Wix's early days. Uh, Wix today is obviously known as uh, a cloud-based web development platform that helps uh, you know millions and millions of uh, uh, hundreds of millions of really small businesses and larger businesses as well to manage their online presence to have a website, and we give them all their tools as well that they need in order to do that. Back in the day when Wix was at this tipping point of explosive growth, we ourselves internally as a company needed a better way to communicate with our users. But it was also more than just communicating with them. We were a SaaS uh, driven company with product evolution that was moving at a very fast pace. And we needed a way to bridge between uh, our users customer support and our product and marketing teams, but also primarily the product teams. So it was a very big focus from day one, um, trying to answer a very basic but important question, which is how do we connect the user voice into the company with everything that we're doing? How do we connect that in a way that we can better plan our roadmap, that we can better understand our users' needs? And, and it was very strategic from day one. Uh, this was about 10 years ago. So it was the very, very early days of Salesforce Service Cloud. Uh, I don't even think Zendesk was around then, or if they were, it was pretty much in the conception phase. And as a product-driven company, we said, okay, screw it. There's no tools in the, in the market uh, that can basically do what we want. We didn't look at support as something, which I think is pretty much a traditional mindset still around today, which is uh, we're going to ask our users to open tickets. It's like the old uh, help desk software way of looking at things. Our users will come to us. They're going to open tickets, and then we're going to solve those tickets and basically just close the you know close the ticket or close the issue that they had. It was a lot more trying to be uh, proactive and really integrating it into a customer user into the customer's journey with Wix. So we set out to start developing our own solution. It started with uh, self service. Because uh, when you're doing things at uh, the scale of B2C, you quickly understand that you can't put an agent in place for every query that a user has. And we also learned very early on that most users want uh, to be able to solve their own issues without having to talk to a customer care agent. So it started with self-service and then it quickly evolved to uh, uh, ticketing, which is just another way of saying multi-channel support. And then we went to Twilio which was one of the top VoIP providers then. We took their core APIs, built a full-fledged contact center, all built in and into one, and then live chat, analytics, AI, and it just became a very full-fledged platform. We were trying to solve this problem of just having a seamless communication on the user side and a better agent experience, which we knew was paramount in order for us to communicate and to provide like the best support for our users. Um, and the end result of that was just a very cohesive platform that took away a lot of the complexity and the need to go between multiple tabs to close issues, um, really being able to see in a very clear way what your user's top issues are, which we hear is a very big problem still today for many product teams. And years later, we started getting a lot of inquiries from the market, from companies that we had known, partners of ours. And they're like, how do you guys do what you do? You know, you're over 150 million users back then. We're using Zendesk, we're using Salesforce or Oracle, we're really struggling. And the struggles that we heard were, you know, we can't really consolidate everything in one place. We have too many platforms going on. It's very cluttered. We don't have a clear view of what our users need. And we're like, well, funny you should ask. We developed this platform called Wix Answers. <laughs> and actually, after some validation there, we decided to take it to the board and to make a case for launching the first B2B product out of uh, the larger Wix organization and into a completely different industry uh, and vertical entirely. So uh, it's a little bit the story behind it, but it was also one of the one of the things that helped propel this product uh, to see the light of day and to make it to the market. 
Very cool. Yeah, I love those stories. I think there's been a lot of products like that where they built them internally and they found like this just works really, really well. And then I think Slack is an example of one of one of them. Um, how long did it take? So do you remember like how long was that tool you know built internally and then finally decided you know, that you guys went to market? Was that a couple of years? No, it was many years. Uh, I would say this uh, Wix Answers was being built internally for, I would say, since the very early days of Wix, probably, I would say, just under 10 years. This was the tool that uh, had grown from probably a couple million to over 100 million uh, users. Uh, and I joined at the part of when we were already getting some interest from the market mm-hmm. and people were coming to us and trying to understand how we are solving certain issues, how do we break out into new markets, um, you know, how do you be more proactive with your support and more engaging and companies that were very CX focused, which has become a very, very big trend today. Uh, there's more and more of an understanding today that mm-hmm. prioritizing customer care and really making it a big focal point of the company more than just solving tickets and being done with it, but being in a very proactive way is fundamental to future growth and revenue. Uh, yeah. I joined just about then. Um, before really the product had gone to market. So I joined with Elad uh, to put together a go-to-market plan and for us to start to commercialize this product and sell it to other businesses. Very cool. And, you know, speaking about, uh, you know, challenges in the market right now. So obviously, you know, 2020 has been in a lot of challenges with COVID-19, you know, the pandemic, lockdowns, brought a lot of challenges to many, you know, to people in the customer support space. Um, you guys have some big clients. You have like, you know, Fiverr, Getty Images, Viber and others. What kind of you know, challenges are you seeing from B2B, specifically customer support teams facing? And what are these companies doing to face those challenges and trying to solve them? Are you seeing any trends there? It, there's, two, uh, there's two repeating themes that are coming up. Uh, the first one is a bigger focus on knowledge. So if you would have talked to me at the beginning of the year, around January time, I would have told you that talking to companies about making change when it comes to self-service within an organization is something that many companies want to do, but they don't really know how to tackle. And with COVID hitting, uh, what we've seen is that a lot of companies are scrambling right now to rethink or to improve or to put a lot more resources when it comes to self-service because communication with users or making sure that you're enabling your users to find what they need has become more critical than ever. So that's something that we were pushing really, really hard uh, with organizations trying to help them to understand how to do this. And COVID has really accelerated that process of putting pressure on companies to really optimize their self-service or to even get something in place to start answering and and helping their users who want to self-service themselves. And a derivative of that would be more like seamless communication with users. And what I mean by that is during COVID, we've seen this as well in like retail and a lot of businesses that do have an influx of uh, customer uh, customer interactions or customer queries, that customers have a tendency to hit on multiple channels. Uh, that can be a little bit more true for, for B2C, but it's also quite true for B2B. So when something's going wrong and it's also harder to reach certain companies or businesses, you're seeing a little bit more of an increase of customers starting to hit you up on email, but then they're also calling, they're requesting a callback request, they're filling out your forms and they're trying to get your attention in many different ways. And the challenge there for many businesses is how do they consolidate all of that and get one clear funnel and experience for their end users, but also from the agents who are handling it on the other side. And we've, we've started to see a lot more of an increase in companies trying to solve that problem specifically of, of a much more 
seamless transition between multiple channels for customers seems to be, uh, it's been a behavior that's been there all, all along, but it seems to be a little bit more right now apparent given just, you know, the circumstances in COVID and a lot of how our world has changed recently. Yeah, fair enough. So speaking about those different kind of communication channels, um, how, how does Wix Answers deploy, you know, the unifying support strategy? So across all those touch points, what are the channels you guys offer and how are they organized for teams under the same platform? Yeah. So we didn't really invent the wheel with anything when it comes to channels, right? I mean, mm. today it's pretty standard. You can allow your customers to reach out to you on uh on chat, on social, phone, uh, callback, you know, inbound, emails, forms, whatever. What we do very, very differently, and I think this goes back to the story and how we had built the, the tool internally for us is we basically built this technology from the ground up with all of the channels plugged in uh, and in a very seamless way switching between each other. So an example of that would be, let's say you and I started a chat and you need some help. I can quickly turn that chat into a phone call. Um, so I can call you or you can request a call back. Um, can easily transition to email where I might send you a help guide or some sort of troubleshooting and then transition back into chat. So you would never have any kind of broken experience. We wouldn't need you to open a new tab. The user wouldn't have to click somewhere else or to like dig around too much. And that is really like a byproduct of how the platform was designed. With other platforms that are out there today, if you look at a lot of how their channels are structured, whether it was acquisitions that they have done, right, to acquire different technologies such as uh, chat or bots or calls, um, actually most of the providers out there today don't even have built-in contact centers. So for example, if you're going to use Salesforce, you're going to need to go to a third-party vendor as well in order to get that calls plugged in and then integrated with Salesforce. So with Wix Answers, everything is just there. So that seamless transition between channels is apparent to a, an agent from quite simply just one timeline in a transition of basically any channel that the user is on will all come to one single timeline, one conversation. And from the end user experience is basically just one single touch point that can really change its face and the way you interact with it in many different ways. Uh, so it can be in product, on mobile, um, where basically chat, callback requests, knowledge articles that have escalations to chat or to calls. And it's just basically one single and very seamless touch point for the user, regardless of where they are in your funnel. Got it. So I want to touch base because you mentioned, uh, you know, Salesforce is one. And then a couple, you know, speaking about competition, there's a few other, I guess, leaders in the SaaS space, right? You got Zendesk, you got Freshdesk, you have Zoho Desk. How, how else does Wix Answers differentiate from others? And who are your, you know, ideal teams that should consider using your platform? Who are people that... You know, what are the size of the teams you're typically working with? I'll, I'll answer the, the, the latter part first, uh, sure. which is just the teams of sizes, the company sizes that we, we go after. Uh, initially, when we had taken this product to market, we thought that because we had, you know, this is a company that was still uh, created under the larger Wix umbrella. So, you know, for, for listeners listening in and they know a thing or two about Wix, we're very well known for the DIY, the ease of use and the aesthetics. And that just became a very inherent part of the DNA of how Wix Answers as a platform was built. We initially thought that this would be like an SMB tool, you know, because we said, mm -hmm. hey, it's much easier to get uh, onboarded. Support is already so complex as it is. We're just making it sim more simple. And we quickly realized that we actually also had a very strong affinity for very large scale organizations. Because when you think about it, Wix Answers today, we're supporting 200 million Wix users. It can do a lot. 
Uh, we have 2,000 customer care reps at Wix working 365, seven days a week in over 17 languages. So it's a pretty massive platform in terms of what it can do and how much it can power. And we started to find that a lot of companies that were much larger in scale, we were also drawing their attention in terms of the capabilities and just the overall robustness of what this platform can do. Uh, so today we look at companies that are about 1,000 employees and above. Mm. Um, and we're also looking as well at startups and starting with that uh, more bottom, the groundswell of businesses that are growing very fast. But for the most part, we're looking right now at, at uh, about a thousand plus and very SaaS centric businesses. To answer your first question about, you know, Freshdesk, Zoho Desk, Zendesk, and I definitely though think it is a two horse race uh, with Salesforce service uh, cloud and Zendesk leading the way. They really, you know, even Zendesk, uh, they really made support a thing. Uh, it was a thing that you wanted to own and you wanted to talk about. And it had a lot of branding around, hey, like customer experiences uh, matter. It goes back to initially what I said, uh, where we are really, really different is we remove a lot of complexity from everyday support tasks that need to be had um, and make it much easier for companies to move. So if you think about it, if you need to move 1% and you're a very large organization, you need to change your automation, you need to change your flows. Um, people tend to forget as well that the support departments within any organization are some of the fastest adapting teams within a company, right? So think about you put out a promotion, um, you, you pivot something, you add a new product, you make changes in a product. The, the, organ, the team within the organization that has to react to that the fastest is your support teams. And that means they need to move. They need to make changes. They need to adapt. They need to update. They need to be more most informed in front of the customer. And what we found is that companies are really crippled there to move quickly. There was a very strong dependency on R&D and development. Um, there was a really um, slower pace of how quickly they can make changes and then launch them. Wix answers because we were built in house at Wix. And like I said, all of the channels are built in and everything is just there in one cohesive way. It's much easier to move. And the biggest advantage as well as being that having that UX and UI that was really nurtured as part of the DNA of Wix has only made it easier to create easier workflows and automation without huge dependency on R&D and uh, development. So that's a really big edge that we have when we come to companies and we say to them, like, you need to change your automation. You want better reporting. You want more real-time reporting. We're also the first in the industry to do like real, real-time um, mm. reporting in a way that nobody else can. And you can do that in under a week. But with Zendesk or Salesforce, it's going to take you like a month, right? Or two months. That's a, that's a massive advantage to any company that wants to move that needle. And you move that 1% and that can usually translate into millions of dollars, right? So right. I would say that that's where our, our biggest differentiators lie. Yeah, that's, that's super important, especially when, yeah, they're, they're at the front of the line, right? They're talking to people, they need those changes instantly. And that's interesting you say about the... Uh, uh, specifically about, you know, using the ideal teams, like you guys built it internally with a, it was probably been overkill if you guys targeted SMBs, right? You built it for a team of 2000 and then you go out to market. Um, yeah, that you probably overbuilt it for them, right? Over-engineered it. Um, and so another point is, you know, when it goes to, you know, you guys, you were involved at the initial stages when it came, you know, you went out to the uh, executive team and you, you asked them to roll this out. Um, but you guys obviously had an advantage compared to other startups, but on the, the marketing side of the business, do you remember like what marketing channels have worked 
the best or even now, like so far to help you, you know, continue to grow the business? Yeah, a big part of what we're trying to do is also change uh, the conversation and change the industry mindset. For us, it's a huge deal, right? And it's a big thing that we focus and put a lot of energy on. This is a very mature uh, and established market that's been around for a long time. And it's been traditionally done as a help desk software that you put and you put support teams and then you plug all of your channels. And we realize that there's a lot more to support and that support can really impact your future revenue, your growth. Uh, today, a lot of companies, uh, business leaders talk about subscription economy. How do you make sure that your users keep coming back? And it always comes down to the fact of how well can I serve my users? How good is the customer experience? I mean, think about it firsthand. I can speak for myself at least. There's many brands that I go to. And if I don't have a really good initial customer experience with them, I take my business elsewhere. And Definitely. that's very representative of most uh, customers in terms of how they decide to buy or to, you know, to become a customer of a certain uh, business. So we understand that it's a huge part of how companies need to be thinking and that they need to start putting customer support and customer centricity more at the focal point of their, their company. So one of the things that we're trying to do is change that conversation at the C-level. And we understand that if we get more CEOs and COOs to really understand that at the end of the day, the more you're going to put a focal point and connect all of your teams to the user voice or the customer voice, it's going to have a huge impact on your business. So some of the things that we've done is just launch a lot of executive events. Uh, we've actually brought the CEO of Wix.com and our COO and president to talk to other leading CEOs and to say, listen, Wix.com is a very successful company and what we do, but a huge part of that was because we cared about our users from day one. And our CEO answered emails and had an open inbox until today from day one. And if you look at a lot of other companies that have succeeded tremendously in their space, there's always a huge focal point on customer centricity, uh, whether, by the way, it was, uh, you know, Apple and Steve Jobs going down to the manufacturing floor and making sure that the experience of how users would open the first box of the iPhone or Jeff Bezos, you know, also going to the manufacturing floor and seeing how easy was it to open a prime box, uh, how easy is it for a user to reach and to solve a problem they have when they have an issue with shipment? This is exactly the kind of conversation we're trying to evoke in the industry. And we know that the more companies that start to put a focal point on that, the more the conversation with users is going to change and evolve to what we see it uh, and, and where we think that it, it can be. Very cool. So just getting out there, putting your face and yeah, we do a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of of face to face and just talking to people and listening to them. We can do it in either smaller forms of uh, usually it'll be like 10, 10 executives from top brands and leading uh, leading companies. Or we've done you know sometimes a hundred CEOs at an event that we've sponsored and putting our management on on stage to talk about the strategic decisions they made from day one when it came to uh, CX. Very cool. I'm, I'm assuming it's not in person anymore right now for this year, but yeah. you can still do them online. Yeah. You cool. still do uh, a lot of online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So coming back to the product, I just want to understand more a little bit, um, you know, how, how is it tracking, you know, the performance against those SLAs that people, you know, the teams are setting up and do you, does it also, you know, automation is becoming huge as well. Uh, does, it, does it automate a lot of the support process there as well? Yeah. 
we we know a thing or two about automation. If we didn't, uh, you know, our, our support organization would be crumbling. I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. challenge when you're a B2C company at scale. You've got to get the automation right. You have to get the routing right because every single time you make a mistake there, the wrong agent takes the wrong ticket. It goes to the wrong queues. It's not prioritized right. So we have all of these features that's built in in a very uh, robust way with Wix Answers as a platform. But what we're also trying to do is to take, for example, like the SLAs, uh, skill-based routing, routing between channels, right? I now need to put 50 agents on chat and I have 100 agents on my call center. How do I also automate it in a way that I know exactly what's happening right now in my business and I can move it in real time? So for example, I was talking to a rather large company um, in, in the media industry that, you know, we were talking and they called me after a pay-per-view event and they said, you know, we had this issue of an executive vice president calling and saying, what is happening? You know, something was starting to bubble on, on uh, social and, and the call centers and they didn't really know what was going on. They knew that there was an issue and they were hearing a lot of different things from users, but they couldn't really figure it out. It took them time to run all of the analysis on the platform that they were using, they ran the reporting. And this is exactly where we changed that in terms of being able to give real-time visibility into all of your channels, but also connect it. Um, I mentioned before knowledge. So knowledge is obviously self-service and you can have that all customer facing. You can also connect knowledge the way we do it in articles to tickets in a way that they can give context to what's happening. So our AI does that very well. So you have an influx, let's say, of a thousand tickets. Right away, the AI is running and saying, "Okay, we're starting to see a trend that the biggest issue that the users are having in the U.S. or in Europe or wherever is this trending issue in real time." And where most leaders feel really stuck is, how do I now make changes and how do I fix the situation before it's too late? So the real real time is something that we add as an additional layer on top of the automation, the SLAs, the routing, so that you can execute real-time decisions, say, my gosh, something's happening in the contact center. I'm going to close chat for whatever reason, and I'm going to shift those agents right now to our contact center. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is one of our biggest releases this year. And we see that this is really going to be a game changer in the market for how you know, support leaders can really run their business um, when it comes to real time and also having that full control room sense of what's going on. Very cool. So uh, I want to speak a little bit more about, you know, what what else we can expect, you know, moving forward and then also into next year. Um, This is an interesting study where they say 67% of users prefer self-service support over an agent. And I know you mentioned at the beginning where, you know, with COVID that that's the trend was it's probably a lot higher now than, than that, what I mentioned. Um, what else are you guys kind of working towards that Wix answers to, you know, move towards that, you know, the self-serving option or knowledge base? What, where do you guys see that trend going? We actually, I just did a webinar uh, a little earlier uh, in the month with uh, Deloitte and uh, Deloitte are also very passionate about uh, helping com- companies uh, optimize their CX. They come in a little bit more in a consultancy and advisory role. We come in a little bit more from the technology player. We talked a lot about self-service. I, I, I'm probably... Uh, I'm pretty confident that the number is much higher than 67% now. And I think there's even uh, there's even a statistic of 78% of companies strive to do it, but only 6% know how to do it. Don't quote me on that. We can check that mm-hmm. later. But it's, it's a pretty big disparity between how many companies strive to do it. We're just starting with education. Um, knowledge mm-hmm. is a very hard thing 
to evoke change within an organization. And the, one of the reasons we found, we did a survey of this as well, one of the last webinars that we ran with Deloitte is because there is no single owner within a company, usually for knowledge. Um, you're gonna have the product teams, it's usually siloed with different teams. Uh, CX level, like, you know, the C level of companies, they usually don't really see it as a powerful tool for change. And this is something that we're really trying to change in terms of mindset and conversation. It really does start there. I know I've said this more than once, uh, but it really does start there. So we're trying to educate more in terms of understanding if you can move the needle by self-servicing your customers by 20 or 30% more, right? That could mean a lot more revenue and a lot more uh, retention uh, for your company and for your business. And not to mention reducing like very, very high cost center, uh, call center costs, uh, which are very, very expensive for companies today. So we're putting a huge effort to educate a lot more about how, easy it is to get started with knowledge and just get started. Sometimes there's this, there's fear of like, it's a huge project to take on. I think that's kind of like the reputation that knowledge in general and self-service has. And we're trying to change that by showing you just need to start and then you can measure and iterate and improve and, you know, improve over time. Yeah. So, with, you know, you mentioned uh, one segment of your audience is those high growth, uh, you know, startups. So a lot of our, our listeners are, you know, maybe B2B SaaS founders and they have a high growth startup. Um, if they have a support team that's growing as well, um, what kind of support metrics that, you know, should these managers or founders be paying attention to, paying attention to over as, as the company's growing? Yeah, metrics are always a very good question. And it's interesting because if I've talked to, let's say, 100 companies over my lifetime, just for the sake of, uh, of an easy number, I've found that there's probably like 150 different ways that companies measure their own success. And every KPIs are different. Everybody's trying to strive for the, the general KPIs, right? Which is like right. CSAT, uh, self-service and resolution. I would probably say that if you don't have a clear view of what your users' top issues are and you don't know how to change that, then there's probably something wrong with the way that you're connecting all of your data and connecting the dots between your different channels. Uh, And this is something that we see time and time again. I mean, I can obviously jump into it and say, you know, from a self-service perspective, it's important to understand what are useful searches, what are unuseful searches. You talked as well about automation. A lot of this needs to be automated. It's very hard to start drilling into it. For example, I don't know, you put an article in your help center or internally and you see that it's not being used. You're not getting votes on it. There's no interaction on it. Automation would help you automatically unpublish that article that's not really helpful and and bring that to your attention and say, hey, you have 10 articles right now. They're not being used. You're probably not servicing your customers in the right way. You might want to rethink the, the knowledge or rethink the search terms or rethink the way your users are interacting with you. So um, not sure that that answers the, the, the question exactly as, as you asked it, but I think it kind of goes more foundationally to really understand what are all the different points of data and are you really able to, at the end of the day, understand what your users' main, main uh, issues are? Yeah, no, I think that, that makes perfect sense. Um, Naomi, uh, you know, you've had an interesting, you know, journey and experience from an entrepreneur now moving, moving up the, the, the ladder at, at, uh, Wix Answers. What does uh, success mean to, to you today, either personally, professionally in life? You know, this year has taught me a lot. Uh, I think for a lot of people as well, uh, but it's been really like life changing for me. Something that for me was success, and this is more, I think, on a personal level, is just to sometimes slow down. And I found that by slowing down and being a little bit more open to 
smaller things around me that I would have not normally noticed because I'd be too busy and moving too fast and I'd have a goal and just trying to race against that goal. This year has taught me a lot to slow down and notice those moments. And it's also helped really change the way I think about things, the way I make decisions, uh, the way I process. So for me, it's it's been something that I'm, I'm definitely working on, but it, it's been like a small change, but there's definitely a lot of changes that I've seen coming from just slowing down and, and giving yourself sometimes time to think about how you make a decision where you're going. And have you, have you implemented anything in, you know, whether your routine or have you changed something in your day to day to help you with, or any tools or apps you recommend to help you slow down and, and, and absorb those day to day small moments? (laughs) (laughs) This might actually sound a little bit contrary to it, but I'm about to buy my first Peloton. I don't know Uh, if that would be uh, pretty much helping me to slow down, but maybe in a way it is that, trying to find those things in life that give me uh, a moment to take pause and to break and to think about something differently. You know, we talked about it earlier about we're all in front of our computers, in front of our screens, we're all stuck in our home offices or whichever bedroom we've been, you know, uh, delegated to in the house. And so that's an example of something that I, I would have not normally done, but I decided to uh, take a little bit of initiative there and, and, you know, going for walks, just getting out, uh, trying to change the environment around me and change the way that I'm looking at things. So it's the small things. Absolutely. I don't know if the Peloton will slow you down or make you want to speed up and, and get you more Wait, energized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, awesome, Naomi. Thank, thank you for this. How can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about your product or, or learn more about what you guys are working on? Well, you can find us at wixanswers.com. We're completely separate uh, product from uh, the larger Wix uh, offering. So that's where you can find a lot of information about us, about our product, about what we're setting out to do and change in the industry. And I'm very responsive on LinkedIn. Uh, It's usually one of my most favorite tools to getting to know new people and starting conversations there. So I can also be found on LinkedIn. Okay, awesome. We'll put both, both those links in the show notes so people can check out and connect with you. Thank you so much, Naomi. Highly appreciate it. This was great. Thank you, Akil. It was a pleasure talking to you today. You as well. Thank you. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.